This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored yes it is time for another episode of literary treks your official star trek books and comics podcast here on the trek fm network i am bruce gibson and sitting across from me is dan gunther and when i say sitting across from me i'm looking at him on a monitor yes um this is how we usually do it although i am facing south where i'm sitting in the house so i, I think if i if I go like that, I'm 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 facing towards Georgia more. I think. Oh yeah, I, to be southeast. I think I'm actually facing the right direction. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so we are sitting across from each other. It's just a very long space in between us. Very long space, and you know the thing is, if we have bad breath, we don't know it. Of oh each man. Other. You know, there's so many times I've been about to record this podcast and I go, oh no, my breath's really bad. I should, wait, who cares? <laughs> I know, there's so many times I'm about to do this podcast, I go, oh man, I should put pants on. <laughs> 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 now Dan's like, uh, I feel very uncomfortable doing this show now. <laughs> no, I'm always comfortable doing this show. I never wear pants. <gasps> oh no. <laughs> I don't need to know that. Uh, you can you can turn around, face south again, please. <laughs> Close your legs. Um, so no, I'm fully dressed. I just got in from work. I had to work late. So anyway, that kind of sucks. But anyway, I'm just glad that we're here doing this. Uh, so we do have a feature today, and we mm-hmm. always have a feature on every episode. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I was aware. So on this feature, it's a book. It's not a novel. It's not a comic. It's a book called, it's a hardcover book called Star Trek Kirk Fu Manual. So it's a manual, uh, the fighting styles of Captain James T. Kirk, martial artist. And uh, this is written by Dayton Ward. So, you know, he hangs out in our green room all the time. So I already went in, woke him up, gave him some time to brush his teeth so he doesn't have bad breath. So you can come on and talk about the book with us. So we'll mm-hmm. do that in the feature. But before we do that, we have a news item we want to touch on. And then we also have a comic to review. So the news item is related to a new comic miniseries from Deep Space Nine. We haven't had a Deep Space Nine comic series and I think about a decade is what I read in the press release. Wow. Yeah, that's that's. That's crazy. Over a decade. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that about that, but you know, we, we've had Deep Space Nine show up. Of course we had like the Q conflict and stuff, but a standalone Deep Space Nine comic, that's been a long time for sure. Yeah. And this one's coming out in April of 2020. So we're getting really close and it's shining the spotlight on Constable Odo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Our favorite shapeshifter. And uh, this is written by the Tiptons, David Tipton and Scott Tipton. And it's illustrated by Greg Scott. And uh, so David Tipton says, quote, set during the most difficult hours of the Dominion War, too long a sacrifice. That's the name of the comic series, too long a sacrifice. 
shows the station during trying times, a series of mysterious and seemingly unsolvable terrorist attacks, just as the war has everyone strained to the breaking point. We'll get to see the darker side of life on the station as Odo leads the investigation with increasingly desperate conditions, forcing him and others to deal with new and unexpected allies and to use unusual tactics in their efforts to stop the attacks. And Excellent. it has wonderful art that represents yeah. this too. Yeah, so the art that's been released so far looks to be uh, a retailer incentive cover by J.K. Woodward, and it's got his uh, usual style there. Uh, you can see in the bottom corner he signed J.K. Woodward. I, I love this cover art that we've gotten. Um, there will be a few different covers, of course. Uh, there's a photo cover, B, of course. There's always a photo cover. Uh, and the main cover art will be by Ricardo Drummond. Uh, so look for this on the shelf in April. It's a four-part miniseries. Really, really excited about this. I love Deep Space Nine. It's kind of, you know, when I'm looking for a Trek fix, Deep Space Nine's kind of my go-to. I really love those characters and those stories. So to get some new stories set during the series like this, that's that's my dream. I love it. Well, this is your go-to. So it's called Too Long a Sacrifice. And yeah, like you said, April. So look for it. Four-part miniseries. And we will be talking about it here on Literary Trek. So check out those episodes as the comic comes out. Speaking of comics, we are going to review one on today's episode. And this is from the Star Trek Year 5 series. This is issue number 10. And this continues the storyline where we see Sulu kissing the fish. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like the Newfoundlander tradition of kissing the cod. This is very different. Those of you uh, from Newfoundland will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe very few others will. <laughs> Just look it up. Go going. So we pick up where we left off last time where we're on this planet where this alien race has lived under the sea, but there's a part of its race has been living on land and they're fighting a war with each other. Well, the war hadn't really started yet. It's been kind of brewing as to, for something to happen. And so by the time that our crew has gone down there, um, they were with the undersea creatures and they went up to visit the land creatures with them. And well, it was thought that Chekhov had shot their speaker or their chancellor or whoever he was, and it really wasn't Sulu, but it was just the spark that this these land dwellers were looking for to start a war, and that's what's going on. And so the whole idea is they're shooting their missiles into the sea, which will help to dry it and dry out the uh, aquatic creatures. Yeah, so in this issue is where we really see that war kick off because at the end of the last issue, they were starting to to fire those projectiles. And now we're seeing the fallout from that with the uh, buildings undersea getting destroyed and all that kind of stuff. And we see Sulu is still really angry with Chekhov, thinking that, you know, if he hadn't pulled his phaser, uh, this wouldn't be happening. And I remember last issue, I was getting really annoyed with Chekhov and really kind of mad at him. But this issue, it's kind of turned. I'm kind of feeling bad for Chekhov at this point. Yeah, I did too, because Sulu just seems like he's just an angry, hateful person <laughs> against Chekhov <laughs> at times, you know? He's just like in Chekhov's face, like, you know, we are in danger. If you hadn't pulled that phaser, none of this would have happened, you know? And it's like, dude, like it just... I don't know. There's just times it just feels like the characters are a little off. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, he's understandably angry, but yeah. Plus at the same time. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of emotions there that are, uh, you know, com combining to drive him a little crazy here for sure. So it's understandable. But, you know, I some of these frames where Chekhov is just, you know, kind of withering under Sulu's harsh glare as he's yelling at him. I'm just like, oh, he's just a kid. Poor Chekhov. <laughs> Poor Chekhov. We hated you in the last issue, but now we feel sorry for you in this one. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Darn manipulative writers. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I find it interesting, actually, how they're writing these two characters as if, you know, they've been working together for a while. And uh, we know it's been a while because we'll touch on that here in a little bit. 
but it still feels like their relationship is still somewhat new. You know, mm-hmm. that Chekhov is young, Sulu's older, Sulu's in love with Ale, who's one of these aquatic creatures, and her kingdom, her people are being attacked by these land dwellers. And, you know, so yeah, Sulu's got a lot of emotions. He's kind of invested in this more so than he would be in other races and uh, first contact missions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, then the, um, the Chancellor awakes uh, from these land dwellers so that was the one that was shot but he was stunned and even Chekhov's like you know they'll they'll know we didn't kill he wasn't killed he was he was shot by us you know on stun so he's fine and it's like that doesn't matter they're just looking for an excuse for a war when he wakes Mm -hmm. up it's it's still not going to matter and and guess what it doesn't you know even the chancellor wakes up and he shouts war you know they're just looking for the excuse and i like how um al they're in this bar this tavern or whatever and al's like we must swim and it's like well we're not even near the water yet we're in this solid building and al's able to crash through the floor by just punching it and creating a hole and then just jumping into the water so i thought that was cool because it shows that al's got tremendous strength yeah and uh we get an interesting little bit here which i think foreshadows some of what happens later in the story where you know they've just witnessed uh al punch through the floor into the ocean and Spock says, I would fear Al in a state of displeasure. And Sulu says, I feel we haven't seen anything yet, Mr. Spock. And (laughs) yeah, we ain't seen nothing yet (laughs) based on what happens later in the story for sure. Yeah. Cause their city is being under attack and uh, our crew can't get to the enterprise at this moment. So even at one point, you know, Sulu is complaining about Chekhov to Spock, but then Chekhov comes in and pushes Sulu out of the way as they're under the water. He pushes him out of the way of a torpedo or whatever it is that they're shooting into the water. Chekhov says, that would have taken you from your love forever. And Sulu says, thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, this is a bit of a love story. Anyway, um, <laughs> Ao has an idea that it's time to have these land dwellers return to the sea. And so Ao goes in and starts chanting something about their heritage. And it's time to remind them that the seas they, the, from to remind them of the seas they came from and to the sea, they shall return. And then we see like this creature, almost like this big giant version of them come out of the water going, whoosh and swimming around and you know our crew's like you know what the heck was that and he was like the true and most secret role of the speaker is of the crest it is the birthplace of all and even spock says a leave a living ecosystem fascinating what'd you think about that i don't so suddenly this story has turned into like a kaiju story like there's like this big godzilla type creature version attacking the city now um, it, I don't know. It seemed, I, I wasn't quite sure what they were going for. It seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. And then like, I don't, we, we don't see the outcome of all of this either, which is a little don't. frustrating. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just like, it, it seems to end pretty abruptly after that with the crew kind of making their escape and stuff. And both sides in this conflict have now inflicted terrible damage on the other um, through this initial bombardment of of these guys by the surface dwellers and then by the release of this huge creature by the other guys. And uh, I'm just kind of left wondering, like, I'm I'm not sure what's going on, really. <laughs> yeah, because this really doesn't get resolved at the end of this comic, of this story. And this is the end of the story of uh, this of being on this planet and these creatures fighting each other. And, you know, they may return to it later. I don't know. But I started to realize that this story really is about Sulu, mm-hmm. you know? And it's about how he has to deal with his emotions and getting tied to a species, you know, and, and being in love and having to leave that and having them work out their problems because Spock points out to them as they're able to eventually return to the Enterprise that, you know, they weren't there to start or stop a war. That's not what the mission is. They have to stay out of this. That's not mm-hmm. there. It's like, you know, a prime directive thing. 
Yeah, for sure. And and I think that's a good point that this story really is about Sulu and the impact that it's had on him. And we see at the end, like it's had a profound impact on him as far as his relationship with Chekhov, Chekhov goes, because he talks to Spock and is saying like he doesn't want to work next to Chekhov at the moment because of what's happened, which I thought was a little bit shocking, um, but leads to something that's kind of a cool tie-in to uh, other parts of Star Trek as well, which was really cool. Yeah, so uh, because of how Chekhov conducted himself, he needs to learn more about security. So he's going on security duty, and so he needs to be replaced as navigator, and so they ask this Lieutenant Eriks to fill in on the bridge mm-hmm. thus of course leading into the animated series which was making my point earlier of now we know approximately where in the timeline this is so we know that Chekhov and sulu have been working together for a while you know at least for a couple couple years and now we're bringing eric's to the bridge yeah so, it, it kind of made me realize like is the implication that so we have these comics set during year five, but then is the entirety of the animated series also in the fifth year of the, of, of the five-year mission then? That's what this is implying. But you're right, because this is a year five, so we know when it takes place, mm-hmm. but we don't know what the comic writers are thinking of the timeline and how it all yeah. works, you know? I mean, they may even be approaching this, because there was a year five, I mean, a year four comic, and- I don't know when they think that Sulu and and Chekhov started working together and when those episodes fall in the timeline. Mm, you know, okay. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, don't know. Yeah. But you're right. You know, well, here's the other thing. In your head canon, it could be in year 4, you know, the original series takes place in years 1 through 3 and then in year 4, Eric's is on the bridge, but then he left the bridge and now he's back. Hmm, that could be. Yeah, it could have yeah, it could be completely not dependent on the animated series or, yeah, yeah I don't know. Interesting. Because yeah. they're not saying, <laughs> hey, this is your first time. Well, he does. But then he points out he graduated at the head of his class as if he's new to this. Like, mm-hmm. like Spock doesn't really know him. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, this would account for Chekhov's absence in the animated series. He's down below decks doing, doing uh, security stuff. That's right. <laughs> So yeah, there's there's a lot of things going on. I mean, they talk about, you know, Spock gives a whole big speech for a while about war and even though this the cause of the what propelled this war to start, which was the phaser fire, which really wasn't from Chekhov, it was from somebody else near Chekhov that caused it to happen. And whether it, it doesn't matter if it happened from Chekhov or whoever, the point is that they were looking for a war and it's all about perception. It's not about mm-hmm. truth, it's not about fact. It's just war is all based on perception, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, which I think is uh, a very resonant theme for, you know, some of the stuff that we're going through right now and that sort of thing. And in the era of fake news and all of that stuff. So definitely a a theme that has some relevance to today's world. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about, but I mean, I enjoyed this issue wrapping up this story arc. I thought it was a good reflection of Sulu. I think he is going through a lot. I think we're seeing a Sulu we've never seen before. Someone who's really angry because of what's happening to someone he's loved. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I don't think these two issues have been my favorite part of this year five series so far, but I, I did appreciate what they're trying to say with the story. And uh, I like the focus on Sulu as someone who hasn't gotten a lot of focus in this era before. Uh, not not often, anyway. So it was definitely good to see. So, uh, yeah, that's issue 10. And we're going to keep on going. There'll be an issue 11 next month. And I like the little uh, teaser for that issue. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, yes, it's it's just perfect. I love it. That's my little hint. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the perfect, uh, uh, I I didn't intend that. There you go. I think that's the the best way to leave that for sure. (laughs) I think the best way to leave this whole thing is to go into the feature. I agree completely. Let's do that. 
Okay, so here we are in the feature here on Literary Treks, and I'm holding in my hands right now Star Trek Kirk Fu Manual, which I'm surprised it's taken 50 plus years to finally get this. <laughs> it's a guide to Starfleet's most feared martial art, and it was written by maybe a martial artist himself. I don't know. Dayton Ward, have, have you uh, studied the martial arts? I'm not a martial artist, no. <laughs> Uh, I mean, hand-to-hand training in the military, but I wouldn't consider myself accomplished in that arena either. You know, now I think about it, you probably should have uh, coordinated with Keith R.A. DeCandigo because he he does martial arts. Yeah, he does. He does pretty well with that. He's he's very accomplished in that regard. (laughs) But uh, we've actually joked about maybe doing a Kirk Fu demonstration at Shirley, but (laughs) I'm getting a little old for that kind of nonsense, so we'll see. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Until I pulled a hamstring, which would be about 10 seconds into the first move. Yeah, sure. Great. Well, based on this so. book, maybe maybe he could do some demonstration with someone and you could narrate it because... Uh, that might be a better move. That might be better for all involved. <laughs> yeah. I would go see that. That would be cool. That would be cool. But why, you know, why go see it when we have this book? Because there's so much in here and I just have to ask, why this book? Where'd this idea come up with <laughs> Kirk moves in a book? <laughs> Well, I mean, like so many of my other bad ideas, it started with drinking. Um, no, I'm, wait, wait, let me guess. You were at shore leave at the bar talking to other no, authors. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, I mean, I was working with Insight. This was this goes back to when I was working with Insight on the Vulcan travel guide, and I delivered a manuscript, and we went through a round of edits, and I and I made all the changes that the editor asked for, and as we were getting to the point where I was really no longer involved in the day-to-day you know stuff they, they were starting to give it to the graphics design and layout people i i pitched this idea because rob perlman had a book um that was in the planning stages called the red shirts book of doom mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the humor book that insight published around the same time as the vulcan travel guide and so i i wrote up a two-page or three-page little pitch where i i outlined basically what you read on the back cover i think was my proposal my pitch and I described all the moves in a one sentence deal and I gave them all their names. And I think I grabbed screen caps from the different episodes that illustrated each move. And, um, so I sent it to my editor and about an hour later he responds, he goes, I didn't even bother reading it. I read the first page. Good enough. We're going to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, that was back in 20 late 2015, early 2016, I think somewhere in that neighborhood. Wow. And, uh, it just took a while for the planets to align. And then I finally, by the time they greenlit it, uh, my editor had handed it off to another editor. Um, Paul Ruditis uh, took over the reins. And so I wrote the manuscript under his direction and he did the first round of edits on it and, you know, helped me punch it up a little bit. And then he moved to a different division within insight. So it got handed off again <laughs> to another editor named Holly Fisher, who's been uh, someone I would already been working with on other stuff at insight, you know, those incredibles, book and model sets that I've done so yes, far, that's right. all yeah. four of those, the two Trek ones and the two toy story ones. Um, and then an, an upcoming third Trek one, all have been done under her guidance. So we already had a rapport. So she snapped right in and I snapped right in working with her. And so she took it the way she took it the rest of the way, got it, got it to, you know, through publication. So thank God for Holly Fisher. <laughs> yeah. That's gotta be a really good feeling to have that level of enthusiasm right off the bat with a, with a project proposal. Yeah. And then CBS was right on it. I mean, John Van Sitters and Marion at CBS, they were all like, oh, yeah, we have to do this. Um, so it, everybody was behind it. It's just, you know, it required a lot of moving pieces to fall into the right order and, uh, you know, a slot for the public. And then actually there was a time when they got cold feet um, mm-hmm. because not because of me personally, but because their early sales figures. So they say they said they weren't real happy with the Red Shirts book. And I was kind of surprised by that because you know, everything Rob Perlman touches turns to gold as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, you know, months later out of the blue, he wrote me back and said, the red shirt numbers are really good. <laughs> it oh, just, awesome. it, had a, it, it took, it was like a slow start and then, and then it kicked in. He says, so we're going to do the Kirk Fu book. And I said, Oh, okay. You know, here we go. And so, you know, then it took a while for them to finally green light it and figure out where it was going to be in their production schedule. And then I started writing it. So the actual writing part took very little time compared to, everything else that went on. Hmm. Yeah. 
That's cool. So like, like the way the book is written is kind of like a Starfleet Academy manual for prospective cadets. And I'm wondering what your background as uh, a Marine might have played into that a little bit with the, with the format and language. The whole thing is riffed on like military manuals, field manuals. So like, like you would find an army or Marine Corps hand to hand combat manual. It's very similar in, in approach. Obviously, I've trekked it up and I put in more humor than you'd find in those books. They're incredibly boring. <laughs> in fact, that was I actually included sample pages from a book like that in my pitch when I when I formalized the proposal. I you know I showed them the step by step diagrams, which are just little black and white drawings of you know. And and in my original concept, it was you know Kirk was going to fight the other opponent in the stick drawings in the figure drawings. So it would be Kirk and the Gorn for the one move and Kirk and the Nazi for another move. But uh, when they finally got uh, Christian uh, Cornea to, to do the art, they opted away from that, just had Kirk be the focus of all the moves. So, uh, which is, it's still hilarious. I, th- I think it actually makes it funnier by having just Kirk do the moves. Um, but yeah, that was my original idea. So, so yes, I totally mimicked the general look and feel of a military style field manual. Yeah, because this is written as if Kirk is writing the manual himself helping to train new recruits or those in the academy to learn these moves because not all these moves are going to be taught at the academy. There's things that he's kind of learned just from experience being out there on the different planets and paramount sets and wherever else he is. The idea is that there's actually an honest to God, hand to hand combat curriculum, like a real one, (laughs) the actual (laughs) stuff that they teach the students. And then this is like an add on. It's an addendum. Oh, this is the Kirk addendum. You know, because there's no way we can teach this. This is just weird stuff you're born with or or you make it up as you go. Nobody fights like Jimmy T. That's kind of the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, out there is a is an actual honest to God Starfleet manual for hand to hand combat or unarmed combat, however you want to call it. And then then there's this part. That's the add on an elective. (laughs) It's extra credit. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I don't think they teach it anymore at the academy because I was reading this thinking, wow, you know, can you imagine you're at the academy and you're learning some of these weird moves? And then I thought, well, when I watched TNG on all the series on, I've never seen these yeah, moves since. You know, Worf would have fared a lot better if he'd learned these moves. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying Worf doesn't really comport himself well in a lot of hand-to-hand situations over next gen. That's true. He's kind of got that palm punch and that's really about it. <laughs> yeah, that, that palm punch with no follow through. It's like that one that stops right there. I'm like, that's not how punching works. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, because Worf really should have done the Jimmy wall banger. I would have, oh, yeah. have seen that. <laughs> I would have paid money to see that. Yeah, that'd yeah. Be all right. Describe the Jimmy wall banger to us. Well, everybody, well, for those who have never seen it, there is a fight sequence in an episode called Journey to Babel where Kirk fights what he believes is an Andorian. And they're fighting in the corridor of the Enterprise. And Kirk jumps and lands his feet on the wall and then uses his feet to push off the wall and into the Andorian. <laughs> and it is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. But yet, it's so totally Kirk, right? And so I knew when I was writing this that there had to, that one had to be in there. That one had to be in there. And the double, you know, the double, I call it the double clutch, but the one where he puts his hands together and swings mm-hmm. uh, and hits the Gorn in the back or hits Khan in the back. All, those had to be in there. The flying drop kick, you have to have that in there. Yeah, um, absolutely. The one, where he, the one where he rolls like a bowling ball into his opponent, um, I call it rolling thunder. I'm like these have to, I had, I actually had to leave a few out because I had to keep it down for a page count. So. <laughs> There's one I remember from uh, Tomorrow is Yesterday where he flies in from the side of the frame sideways and takes out the three guys. Well, yeah, and that's actually how I described it, but that's not how they ended up drawing it. They ended up drawing (laughs) it like like he just thrusts out his chest and and people fly backwards. But that was the one I was going for where he launches himself and then turns himself horizontal, like parallel to the deck and launches himself that way into three guys. (laughs) <laughs> and that's a joke I had in there was we were unable to recreate this in an instructor setting or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was, um, cause that one's just, I think I saw a cartoon that somebody drew once where Kirk is throwing that move against a Klingon or something. And the Klingon is like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, watching the episode, I mean, I don't know if this is how they do it, but to me, it really just looks like there's two guys just off the side and they, they throw him, Kirk at him. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, and then that's also the one where the guys actually start falling backward about a heartbeat before Kirk hits them. Like yeah. he's in the air and right before impact, they start to back up and fall back like they're like you're falling away. I'm like really bad <laughs> choreography. 
Well, that's what I want to know. It's like, what, what were they thinking on the show? Like, why would they do these weird moves? Because they know it doesn't look realistic. Because no it's, it's the future. It's the future. That's how we fight the future. They did not think this is future fighting. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't I understand. Agree. Like, this looks like something my brother and I would have made up when we were little kids. When we would the one that fight. I left out that I that in hindsight I regret it is the one where he's uh, is it wink of an eye where he's fighting the guy in the quarters and he actually throws a pillow at the other guy and it hits him in the face <laughs> and and stops him dead in his tracks for two seconds long enough for Kirk to get the upper hand on him. And I just I'm like, I don't even know how to describe this. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what to give. I couldn't come up with a name for it. That was probably the biggest thing is I couldn't come up with a catchy name for it. Um, Pillow talk or something. Maybe. In high <laughs> that, Stopped him dead in his tracks because he's like, did, did you just throw, did a you pillow? just throw a pillow? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah just, believe me. I had a lot of nights where I was laughing because I'm trying to write the text. That was the thing. When I pitched the idea, I told my editor, I says, I want the text to be played perfectly straight, except for the odd joke that I slip in, like the little notes on the side, like, see, you know, like we can't recreate this or ow or whatever I put it. But as far as the log entries and the personal anecdotes and the little, you know, asides, I wanted them to be played perfectly straight that I'm the straight man to Christian's art. Who's carrying the humor here because mm-hmm. it's absurd. Let's, 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 let's all acknowledge that this is an absurd idea for a book. Number one, <laughs> And the idea that we would be teaching this is, is even crazier, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it was, I think, uh, I did my part to, to, to play the joke totally straight. And then Christian totally knocked it out of the park for bringing the home with the art. I mean, it's, I crack up at some of those. I want to, I want big blow offs of some of them so I can frame them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Some of the, like, like the step-by-step illustrations are really cool, but I really always, I love the splash page at the start right. of each one. Uh, just great. Yeah. The one with the for, Gorn I want. And yeah. There's a couple of them. And the, and the wall banger, I kind of want that one. I think that would just, I just, and I don't even want to explain it. I just want to put it on the wall with no caption or anything and just let people go. <laughs> what, are you, what, is, what is that? It's futuristic fighting style. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, in the step-by-step, yeah, we see the, the different moves leading up to it. But the, at the end of every fight exercise, the last step, Kirk's shirt is ripped. <laughs> yeah. Every single one. It's perfectly fine until you get to the last step. I actually came up with that kind of late in the game. I was, I was probably three quarters of the way through the manuscript. And um, uh, I, I sent a note in one because I, I use a lot of the comment feature in Microsoft Word, you know, the words that are off in the margins. Yeah. The comments. And, I, and so, so I, was, I had a lot of that baked in because I was trying to describe what I wanted the drawings to look like, what I wanted the art to look like. And at some point I said, hey, here's an idea because it wasn't in my proposal and it wasn't in my outline. I said, what if for those step drawings, his, his, Kirk, his shirt tears, no matter what move it is, no matter whatever happens, even if there's no way his shirt could possibly tear, tear it anyway. <laughs> and, and, that, and that goes back to the whole, um, I was hoping to have, you know, him fighting his opponent in each of those step-by-step drawings, because at the end, you know, the Spock section, I was going to have Spock perform the, the bit on Kirk and have Kirk, get pinched and then his shirt tears just out of the blue. <laughs> that was my final joke for that. And um, so they went a different way on that. But yeah, the, I just, every time I, I look at the drawings, I crack up because it's, it, he perfectly sells what I was, he, he perfectly, uh, you know, picked up what I threw down there. Yeah. So tell us that whole process of the art. How's that go about? I mean, you, you write it and then you're saying you're exchanging word documents. When I wrote it, they had not found an artist yet. Um, in fact, the title page that I wrote, with my manuscript was, you know, written by Dayton Ward artist TV to be determined. They had not picked an artist yet. So I, I baked in a lot of notes for the artist, whoever that was going to be, and, you know, and, and my, my assumption at the time was once we got to the graphics stage, they would throw it back to me and consult me and, and ask me my, you know, what I felt about this, that, or the other, but because it got bounced around to the different editors, they, they basically just put Christian to work. They gave him all my notes. And I think I may have answered a couple of three questions from the editor about art, but I didn't see the pages. I didn't see the layouts or, or the rough pages like I did on the travel guide. So, you know, hmm. I got to see it last, I guess what October, September, October is when I finally saw a copy of the finished PDF, you know, the, the digital version of it. So that I could, uh, you know, go, okay, that looks great. Send it to the printer. But by then it had already been to the printer because they print their stuff overseas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, uh, it was an interesting process. 
and I wrote it with the graph with, with the idea that I'd, you know, be working with the graphic department, like I did with the travel guide. I, that was kind of what I picked up working on those books was how to write, knowing that my words were going to get moved around and shifted and, you know, have to make room for art and photography and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it was a very interesting process. Yeah. You did mention, uh, the little bit with Spock at the end. And I, I have to say, I thought that was great. That was, you know, Spock coming in with his more logical fight move mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah. The, and, and the other one that I didn't think of until, I don't know, a month ago, I, I, I actually pitched this to the, my editor at Insight as a, I thought I could write something for the website as a feature to go along when the book was released. Kind of like what I did with the Klingon guide. I wrote a, an article for them that was a companion piece written in the same voice as the travel guide. I said, I got one more move and I was going to call it Firewall Fury. And basically it was a step-by-step -step diagram of Kirk talking a computer to death. <laughs> and then you know the computer blows up and smoke comes out of it and it shuts itself down and then Kirk's shirt gets torn at the end for sure um, <laughs> but yeah, so but, uh, I don't think we're gonna we, the art of course yeah I said I don't know we can we have the time to engage you know, Christian to, to draw more art uh, <laughs> to, for this so yeah, I, I gotta oh, say well. that the shirt ripping gag almost works better without the opponent like it's just that yeah it's even funnier humor. with no opponent it just happens <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, like I said. He he uh, far exceeded my expectations on the art. It was hilarious to see them come together. So yeah, I like the, at the beginning of the book. There's a warning, and I mean it's kind of to be fun, but in a way it's serious because you know uh -huh. you don't want anybody to really try these moves. And well, I mean it's just like any other advisory when you when you exercise or you undertake something dangerous, you put the disclaimer in there and. I mean, I would hope that nobody would actually try this, but <laughs> William Shatner did. <laughs> Shatner is only Shatner can do this, though. He's the he's the exception. He and needs a copy of this book. I hope to I hope to God somebody puts one in his hands and has him sign <laughs> it for me. That's I, in fact I I've, I told James Colley you know up at the Star Trek tour in Ticonderoga because he's bringing Shatner back in June I think for another appearance. I said I'm going to put a box of these in your in your hands to sell out of your store. There, please have him sign one for me. Uh, uh, so I can't wait. Yeah. I'd love to just to see his reaction. Nice. I'm sure he'll hate it, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like this makes a pretty good companion piece to Rob Perlman's fitness guide. Like this it is really the advanced is, yeah. version. <laughs> I didn't know he was coming out with that until about a month before it was released. I heard about it and I'm like, Oh my God, it's perfect timing. I mean, we get you. Uh, Cause, uh, and I, and I think that book is hilarious. The mm -hmm. body by Starfleet is hysterical. I'm like, I'm jealous that I didn't think of that first. <laughs> He's done that to me a couple of times where I'm like, really? How did I not think of that? So, yeah. Yeah. I only hate him a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> I keep forgetting Guys. to use that book. Because I haven't been exercising, I need to start doing that. Maybe I'll incorporate to, yeah. this with it. Have you all had him on your show yet? We have, yeah. <laughs> oh man, he's he's hilarious. I love him. Yeah, so. I didn't like that video he did when he was in tights. <laughs> I could have just not seen that. You know, he's he's fearless in that regard. He, I'm oh, like, yeah. I could never do that. I, you're not going to catch me on a video doing Kirk Boo moves. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so, not going to happen. Well, now if, maybe if I've had enough to drink first, we'll see. You know, I won't rule. I won't say never, but. <laughs> unlikely okay well going with that assumption if you had to so you found yourself in an alley with five assailants i guess and you had to use a move in this book what would be your go-to <laughs> run the other way because that's I'm, I'm like if i can't i cannot see anybody actually legitimately trying any of these and not getting their ass kicked <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're rolling along the ground at me what is that about so yeah i i, I don't know i just i think did you ever see free enterprise yes. the movie oh the, yeah the movie yeah. that robert net made i think that, that, you know there's a flashback where one of the guys as a kid tries to fight like kurt you know <laughs> a school bully and he gets totally owned by the school bully so I, you know, they should do this uh, on young young Sheldon. Have the young Sheldon kid <laughs> try these moves, you know, with a school bully. That would yeah. Be but cool. he remember this is Sheldon, the guy that got treed by a chicken. You know, he ran <laughs> he ran away from a chicken and got caught in a tree. So I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> you know what I really like? This is so cool. This is the first time ever in history. I think on literary tracks where Dan and I have the book before the author has the book. Mm hmm. 
I think oh, that's they, sent, a new... they sent you each a copy. They see, that's even worse because you're up in Canada for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, and then there's a guy, you know, I mean, there's Paul Simpson over in the UK who's got one. I'm like, really, does everybody have a copy of this book but me? Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering about all the people who got a copy who didn't care about it at all and pitched it in a you know a trash trash can because they're like, hmm. I'm not reviewing this stupid thing. I'm like, I, I could have totally taken that copy off your hands, bro. So I'm hoping that they have a box for me somewhere. That would have never have happened. I, yeah. No one. Uh, I don't know. That. Like I said, it's an unusual, they've, they've gone to great lengths to market and promote this thing. Um, I'm not used to having this kind of attention on one of my books. <laughs> the closest I think I came was like the Balkan guide, the travel guide. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of requests from interviews that are outside the norm for this kind of stuff. I mean, like, you know, entertainment weekly and, USA Today and a couple of other mainstream outlets, you know, beyond Trek fan, you know, podcasts and, and websites and stuff like that. So, I mean, you expect some, some love from the Trek fan community, but uh, when you get otherwise disinterested parties taking a look at your stuff, it's sort of a different realm. Well, you've done many interviews on this book already. Right? I have. Yes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Have we, uh, have we not asked a question? Like have somebody asked a question we haven't asked yet? No, I think you've covered some, we've covered some ground here. That Has there been any really dumb questions you were asked that we haven't <laughs> asked? Nah, not really. I mean, nah, not really. No. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't speak to that. No, I don't, uh, yeah. I don't believe so. But I mean, you always tell that, you know, like, like the more mainstream outlets, the questions are kind of what you would expect. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just the usual kind of questions. Whereas the fan, the fan folks, you know, you guys and other fan sites and web podcasts, you know, they dig in a little bit. They dig into the lore a little bit. They know where I'm coming from when I make a reference in the book. They get the Easter eggs that are baked in there. Mm. Uh, so, you know, these interviews are a little more fun. You say the word Gorn and we actually know what you're talking about. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, I think that's about where his ears are. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, but I mean, like the little sides, like this might have variable results depending on if your opponent is a shapeshifter or something. Mm-hmm. You guys get the joke and you'll laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh at the joke. Whereas the folks from USA Today are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they told, me to, they told me to interview this clown. So we're going to do that. So, nice. so now... <laughs> Anybody wants to get this book, where is it available? Oh, it's going to be at all your major retailers online and brick and mortar. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it. Actually, Simon and Schuster selling it off their website because they're actually the distributor for it. Hmm. Uh, So simonandschuster.com, but you can get it at Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can order it through your favorite independent bookseller, which I am totally on board with. If you want to go to your indie bookseller and order it through them. Um, Yeah. All the places you get them, and there's no—I don't think there's an ebook version of this, or an at audio least not yet, because it just really wouldn't work. <laughs> Only because <laughs> William Shatner is not available to narrate it. It has to be—it can't be anybody but William Shatner. Uh, that would be a dream come true, but I don't think he's—I uh, don't think he's that interested. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure he has better things to do with his time than 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 humor me. <laughs> That's one thing I have to say is uh, there's certain parts in this book where his voice just totally comes through like uh and i I think part of it is because it's being taken so seriously in the Uh text like i could see him just straight faced explaining this and it just being totally ridiculous oh yeah that's and that's the idea is it's um it would be fun to hear him read some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually one of the other, one of the other interviewers did, did make that same note. He says, I really, it sounds like William Shatner. How did you do that? I'm like, well, you know, I'm guilty of writing a lot of William, you know, Captain Kirk stories. So uh, it's kind of second nature at this point to be able to evoke, hopefully Shatner's speech, speech, his language, his mannerisms without being parody. That's the other thing too. Is, and that's mm-hmm. the thing is, I think I don't, you know, there might be a couple people out there who would get the wrong idea. This is not meant as snark or laughing at. This is totally lapping with and enjoying the humor, the inherent humor that this sort of stuff evokes. So uh, it's not meant to be disrespectful at all. I mean, hopefully he won't take it that way. Hopefully, hopefully he won't take it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, I might have to change my name and move. We'll see. <laughs> I'm going to name myself Dan Gunther. No. Oh, man. I moved to Canada. <laughs> And move to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, we'd be happy to have you, but uh, mm. yeah, I don't know. This identity state. You guys are fierce, man. It's like, I got to have a job and a, and a house and everything before I even think about immigrating, right? You guys yeah. actually have standards. Yeah. I've, I've like, heard can... that it's it's tough, which is unfortunate because we'd love to have some of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to be productive. I get it. I understand. 
Speaking of being productive, what else have you been working on? Oh, man. Well, let's see. I, I've got a T- uh, original series novel that's coming out in June, so I'm wrapping that up. I just I did the final edits on it, and I got to look at the early cover rough of it just over the weekend, and so we're, we're still working out the cover. Um, as far as other writing, I'm working on some stuff for Star Trek Adventures, the role-playing game. Hmm. Um, doing some work with uh, Scott Pearson and Derek Attico and Kelly Fitzpatrick. We're all working on a supplement, a couple of the supplement books that'll be on, announced later this year for the game. So, you know, like actual hardcover, the, the add-on rule books, I guess you'd call them, or supplementary rule books. So detailing different aspects of the game. Uh, let's see. I've got another Incredibles book that's coming out this time. It's the Klingon Bird of Prey. So I wrote the cool. book that goes with the little wooden model. Um, I'm doing my, I'm still doing my consulting work with CBS. That takes up a lot of my, that's basically almost the equivalent of a full-time day job. Some days, other days are a little lighter. And then like today was a lighter day, but tomorrow and later in the week will probably be heavy. So there's a lot of, I wish I could talk about some of this stuff because there's a lot of really cool stuff coming down the Oh, you can talk about it. We don't care. I'm sure I could. I'm sure that just between the three of us, right? Nobody will say anything. I mean, I'm the stuff I can talk about. I mean, I'm, I'm working with, uh, IDW, uh, I'm reviewing and over and you know making comments and notes and offering suggestions on some of their comic projects. So like the Year Five comic, the monthly comic that's out, uh, I've been doing a lot of consulting with that. Uh, there's a DS9 miniseries that they announced. I'm doing some, you know, I'm helping out with that from behind, you know, from the review side and the suggestion side, consulting side. Um, there's a couple other projects they haven't announced that uh, that'll be out later in the year. Um, it's been pretty busy. I mean, I'm helping out with Simon and Schuster. So any of the novels that are tying into the new shows, Picard and Discovery, I'm, I'm helping out where I can with the, the folks that are working on those. And yes, there are books that have not been announced yet. Stay tuned for details. Ooh, um, nice tease. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of movie part. And then there's other stuff that I'm doing that's not relating to publishing, but it has to do with extending the Star Trek brand. So into different spaces like interactive experiences and online experiences and, um, I'm help, I'm helping out consulting with some of that. And that's been a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool stuff that people have that they want to do with Star Trek. Uh, I'm just hoping that, uh, that we get to, you get to see some of that or hear about some of it soon. Uh, it's really cool. Kind of sounds like a dream job right now to me, but <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, I, I mean, I try to tell other functioning adults what I do for a living and it's kind of hard to explain it. Like, <laughs> You're not going to believe this because when they hear, when they hear I work for CBS with Star Trek, they automatically go to, do you write for the show? Right. And I'm like, no, I don't write for the show. Um, I get to read the scripts. I know what's coming, but I don't comment on the scripts. I don't give the script writers any feedback on that unless they specifically reach out and ask, which has happened exactly one time. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for, for, for so far as I know, they did not take my note. So, uh, I mean, that's not my, that's not what they hired me to do. My, my job is to help the consumer, the, 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 the product side with, uh, anything with a narrative. So books, comics, games, uh, anything with a story behind it. So, we'll see. And if uh, people wanted to follow you online and, uh, you know, check out all the stuff that you've got coming up, uh, where can they do that? I am still and always will forever will be at DaytonWard.com, the basement of the internet. Uh, <laughs> it is it is absolutely on a sub-level below the actual internet. But before you get to the dark web, it's kind of like that zone that nobody really wants to inhabit. Um, so that's a landing page where you'll find my blog, which is not as not updated as frequently as I would like. And, you know, links to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, uh, author pages on Amazon and my publisher websites and stuff I do for Star Trek.com. That's another piece of my CBS deals. I'm writing fairly regularly for Star Trek.com. So trying to amp up the attention to the publishing side of things, get some more attention on, on some stuff that seems to get overlooked. So. That's great. We want uh, we want as many people as possible reading all the things. So that's great. <laughs> so much Star Trek. There can never be enough. <laughs> it never ends. And which is crazy when you really think it's been over fifty years, and it's like so much is going on. I mean, I just There's wonder, so like a hundred years from now, what's you know, are we There's still going to be doing this? So much going on, and, and you know, this is that's just the stuff that you know about. You don't even know what you don't know about. It's it's Ugh. crazy. Okay, you gotta stop <laughs> teasing like that. Sorry, man. That's one of the they don't pay much, <laughs> but this is one of the fringe benefits. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's fun. It's a fun time to be a Star Trek fan. I don't get it. I don't mm-hmm. get why people are mad about stuff all the time. Uh, I mean, I, I understand not liking a particular show, but. 
I mean, the fact that there's, you know, Star Trek is active and, and full of life again is, is, uh, is awesome. Here, here. Yeah. One of the other podcasts I listen to regularly calls it a new golden age of Trek. And that's absolutely it. Kind of is. It is. I mean, it yeah. kind of is. I mean, I know, <clears throat> I know it doesn't, you know, it's not the same as it was when, you know, 30 years ago, but do you really want to watch the same thing you watched 30 years ago? Do you really want to see them make more of the same thing you made 30 years ago? No. Um, it has to evolve. And, I, and even Roddenberry himself was an advocate for that. You know, he, there's a great quote that he gave that, you know, he thought he hoped that it would go on and continue to grow and evolve and, and, may not even be it would do things that he would never have thought of back when he was running the show so and he's quite happy with that doesn't feel didn't feel jealous about it that was his quote so i mean you, you want to talk about roddenberry's vision there you go um which you know I, I hear that all the time it's not it's against gene's vision i'm like gene gene's vision changed a lot over the years guys <laughs> um and and but he was pretty laid back and open-minded about it for the most part so do you find it really hard not to say something to to people that you have something you're like, Oh my gosh, how can I keep this in and not say anything? I'm so excited. No, I'm, I'm pretty used to keeping secrets. So, I mean, it's not, it's just part of the job. So, uh, you're that um, kind of guy. I mean, there's, there's, there's times when I see what's fun is to read all the fan theories that are so far off base. It's not even, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, and that's probably I just what sit you want to do is shout out to them. You are so off. No, base. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to sit back and see where it goes. I'm like, it's a great idea. I mean, it's completely bonkers, but let's just see where it goes with it. Um, I did that all through the run up to discovery. Uh, the first year of discovery, I was, you know, I had read all the scripts and everything. And the, the, the speculation about what the show was going to be about was rampant. And there were dozens of theories about what the show would be about. And all, most of them were not even close, but it was fun because there were people who pieced together certain twists in that plot for that first year mm -hmm. before the episodes, you know, that spoiled things aired and they were right on the money in a couple of places. And I didn't, you know, I couldn't say a word. So, hmm. But it was funny because watching, watching, watching the show week to week with my wife, you know, I didn't tell her anything. I didn't give her any clue about anything coming in any of the scripts. I didn't want to ruin hers or Kevin's enjoyment of the show on their own terms. But every week she'd look at me after the show started, the credits would roll and she goes, you knew that was going to happen, didn't you? <laughs> so, Why didn't you tell me? I'm like, you told me not to. You know? <laughs> so yeah, we had that, that happened 13 or 14 times. Hmm. So a question that you will probably not be able to answer then is has anybody out there got it right for picard yet that you've seen no no all right cool oh well i mean awesome. the, i mean like for example i mean i don't want to talk about specific theories but so far the ones that i have read no and i'm not even going to tell you which ones i've read uh because i've read a, i mean i've read several and i've heard secondhand about others and, you know, I'm like, well, that's an interesting idea. Totally wrong, but it's cool. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, there's, um, I don't think anybody's, they may have bits and pieces where they tease around, they get really close to something and then, um, but then they go off on a, you know, on a tangent and then it's, and they lost it. I'm like, well, you were right. You were good up to that point and then you went off the rails. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting show it's not like discovery it's not like any of the other star treks and i tried to tell people you know months ahead of time it's not like any star trek you've ever seen it's not meant to look like any star trek you've ever seen it, leave your expectations at the door and people are coming up going well it's nothing like next generation i know i told you that <laughs> <laughs> what did you think i meant when i said not like any star trek but in a lot so of ways, how are you guys liking the show? Well, I, I mean, I really like it, but that's what I was just going to say, because I think for us, you know, we're so used to having different types of Star Trek from reading uh -huh. novels and comics that it just mm -hmm. feels like it's just another version of things um, that we've read before. We're up to episode five coming, coming tomorrow, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. So this is a good one to watch. This is going to be a, this is going to really, it's going to, it's going to surprise some people, I think. Awesome. Uh, I'm excited is, for this one. Uh, written by Kirsten yeah, Byer too. Written so. by Kirsten. And it's, it's an interesting story. You're going to, you're going to see some stuff and I think it's going to catch some people flat footed. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to rewind and go, what the hell just happened? So <laughs> it's a, uh, it's an interesting, and then, and then it gets really nuts. I mean, once we get to, um, once we get past this, this episode and they start dialing, cause now we're in the second half of the season, it really picks up speed. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's going to be a hell of a ride. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I mean, I, it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing, or it's, it's one thing to read the script. It's another thing to see the finished episode because there's mm -hmm. stuff that doesn't make it. There's stuff that gets edited out. There's reshoots at the last minute. And I don't see that update script. 
uh, I mean, they, they try to keep us in the loop, but there's things that they change on the fly that I, or they do it in post-production and I don't see that updated script until afterwards. Um, so, uh, it's fun to watch it. It's, you know, just because I read the script doesn't mean I'm not going to be surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm really enjoying the show as well. And uh, it's kind of funny because our listeners, you all will have seen these episodes that we're talking about before mm -hmm. us now because we're recording from before they aired. So we're recording from the past. We haven't yeah. time traveled yet. So, yeah. So by the time you've heard this, let's see, by the time you guys drop this episode, we'll have gotten past episode six. six. Right. Mm -hmm. so, okay. So, yeah, it's uh, buckle up. Well, let's let's go ahead and talk about episodes five and six. Tell us what it is, <laughs> so we can sound yeah. like we're caught up to everybody, right? We do want yeah. Dayton to be allowed to come back on the show again, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I am here under the good graces of my employer. I don't um, want to be spoiled anyway. I like to watch it as it comes out. So. Mm. I do too. That's that's what that's the thing is. I don't want to ruin anybody's fun. So um, I'm very careful. In fact, Kevin. You know, and Kevin knows what NDAs are like because there's things that he works on at Hallmark that I'm not allowed to, to know about. I mean, we, we we share certain things, but when it comes to stuff like this, I don't want to spoil him. You know what you're going to watch. So mm -hmm. for uh, sure. But I mean, I we've had conversations about the show because he's trying to figure out ways to you know deal with licensing. Like, what can we do to tie into the show for an ornament for next Christmas or something? Oh, so yeah. we've had we've had questions about that. But even there, I try to skirt you know, details of the storyline. Um, cause I don't think they've been given the scripts. I don't, I don't believe they have been. So, Oh, that's, yeah, I, sorry. I just got really excited for a La Serena ornament now. And I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to do that, but, um, I know they were looking for what makes it, you know, what, what can they do to tie into Picard? And they came away with some ideas. I don't know what those are. Cause hmm. again, even Kevin, you know, even though we, you know, we're married, for all intents and purposes, he doesn't <laughs> share everything with me. So yeah, it's uh it's an interesting, uh, interesting, interesting way to have to walk around and tiptoe and, and be careful that I don't, I don't a say something I'm not supposed to, but B, I just don't want to spoil anybody's fun. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Which is why I work alone, keep it in my house, below ground, <laughs> no, in my bunker. So. You're like, what can I do while everybody's watching Picard? I already know what's happening. I know I'll publish a book called Kirk Fu Manual. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah no it's uh it's uh they keep me pretty busy so well that's good well we definitely appreciate you uh talking to us from your bunker about some of this stuff so uh, my bunker especially... my bunker of trek so, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah so thank you for joining us and until next time you will be coming on here to talk about a novel so that's going to be cool mm -hmm. yeah i think that's yes. your next thing back so in uh, june Agents of Influence. Agents of Influence. Uh, yep. TOS novel. Original series novel. Yep. So are we going to like that one? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, I know we will. So I don't know. But if we yeah, don't, don't uh, I'll let you know. But I, I wouldn't worry. It's about okay. That. I'm a big boy. I can take it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. So now, armed with this little manual, I, I really feel like I have the confidence to take on any thugs or bad guys or Klingons who happen to cross my path. I mean, you know, these fighting styles that Dayton Ward has outlined in this book, they're, they can't fail, right? No, they can't, because if Kirk could use them, and, you, and if you practice enough, you can be just as good as Kirk was. I mean, they obviously work. I just don't know why people don't use them more and more as time goes on. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that two fisted hand clubbing is just, that's so, yeah. I mean, if one fist gives you power, like two held together like that, that's, that's gotta work better. My favorite one has always been the flying drop curve. <laughs> that, that just, that I've tried it before. It doesn't work. At least not for me. It doesn't work, but, but no matter what you try in the book towards the back, you can have your own certificate of training and you put you write your name in. You can frame it and hang it on the wall and so that you completed your training. Definitely. <laughs> it's been fun talking about Kirk Fu today, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm. To the journey! 
if I were writing Voyager right now, like reconceiving it, I would make each season like a different decade, like show the progression of time over 70 years. See, we could have just done that with Kess as a character, though. I know I said it probably a million times in the last five episodes. Kess could have shown us what that would have been within mm-hmm. the seven year period. So, you know, we all know my opinions on Kess and how much I liked the character. Earl Grey. Okay, Amy, your ice pick. <laughs> what is that number? <laughs> Amy to the nth power oh, pick. I, yeah. imagine, I imagine it at the square root of minus one. Negative one, yeah. Mm, okay. One. Literary treks. You know, there's all this backstory as you're starting to learn in the show about what happened um, between Nemesis and the Picard show. And and so there was all this backstory. You couldn't really show it all in the show. Um, you don't want to. The show's about what's going on in the present time of the show. But, you know, Star Trek, since its origin, has always had um, ancillary materials that flesh out these stories. So, and we knew that would be the case here. The Line, a Star Trek Picard podcast. 99% of the time, Star Trek tech makes sense. This does not to me. Okay, okay Christy, like... Star Trek has asked me to believe some pretty ludicrous things. <laughs> this takes yeah. the cake. Okay. So. All right, this we're on takes the same the page. Cake. This is completely... More, more than uh, going warp 10 turns you into lizard? More than lizard yeah. babies. <laughs> really? More than Spot turning into a baby lizard. This, I'm just like, what are you trying to feed me here? That's interesting, because I believe this a lot more than those other things. But. Yeah. I, Brandon Baga's evolution theories are much more believable than this. <laughs> no. <laughs> really not, <laughs> but yeah. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. All these shows are shows that you want to check out here on the network and join the conversation. And so you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if that place that you get your podcasts is from Apple, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And we would love it if you would leave us a star rating and a written review. But if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find all of our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file directly from our website. And you can also grab the RSS link there as well. Hey, you can become a patron of the network through Patreon that helps support our shows and keep some coming to you each week. Just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm. You'll get all the details. You'll get things like exclusive content, producer credits, all kinds of things. And then you can also be part of our exclusive website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. One of the things that we absolutely love to do is to hear your thoughts on the episodes that we do. There are many ways that you can share those with us. The best place to join the larger conversation is in the Babel Conference. That's Trek FM's listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, and that's spelled B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select, of course, Literary Treks, and that'll come right to me and Bruce. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. Find us on our Goodreads group where we have a bookshelf and it's got all kinds of previously covered books on it as well as the currently reading section so you know what is coming up for future shows. Plus, great conversations happening about the books and comics. Just search for Literary Treks and Goodreads and click Join Group. We'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shea Mutala, Justin Ozer, Jeffrey Harlan, and Casey Pettit for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. Because... Dan is using the box lunch maneuver on a Gorn right now. So when you're not doing that, Dan, where can people find you? Okay, I got him out of the way there. That's cool. Uh, Man, that stuff works really well. He's out cold. 
Uh, but yeah, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Productions, where I do videos mostly about Star Trek. And after each episode of Picard on Friday nights, Bruce Brandy and I do a live show talking about the latest episode. Uh, you can also find me on treklit.com where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new, and of course, hanging out in the Babel Conference. Now, Bruce, when you're not escaping the clutches of a dastardly enemy using the slippery eel maneuver, <laughs> where can we find you? Slip sliding away. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, where I follow... I might be following you guys that are listening right now. You never know. Uh, I, I know I follow at Positively Trek. You should check that Twitter feed out. And uh, I'm also on the Star Wars Report. I'm also on Live from the Edge with Brandy Jacula when we do a Discovery review the day after our premiere. And uh, I think that's really about it because I'm always in the Babel Conference. So that's that's how we end today's show. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>